Hey everyone, this is the Life Church Canton podcast, and I am Jared Van Voorst, your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is going to be another sermon in our series called He Shall Be Called, which comes right out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We go through the different names that are given prophetically or ahead of time uh, for Jesus, the, that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And this is the mighty God sermon from Pastor Daniel. And it's a wonderful message talking about this majestic might of God who yet still comes as a baby and just the uh, phenomenon that that is. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this sermon, but also want to always encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And if you would like to give to Life Church, please consider doing so. You can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give, or you can click on the link, which is available in the show notes. Um, And then I also want to let you know, make plans for Christmas, uh, specifically Christmas Eve. We are having in-person candlelight services on Christmas Eve uh, at 2.30 p.m. and 4.15 p.m. If you aren't able to make it in person, that's entirely okay. We are going to have a separate digital Christmas experience. It's going to be fun for the whole family. Uh, It's something that you can definitely have your kids get involved with as well. So uh, make, make plans for that. I'll put the link in the show notes for that as well. And now, without further ado, here is Pastor Daniel Fegbui with Mighty God. Our text this morning will be Isaiah chapter 9. It will be in verse... Amen. Hi, doggy. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 this morning, but we're going to read 1 through 7 just for context. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road and runs between Jordan and the sea will be filled with the glory of God. People who are walking in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in deep darkness and the shadow of death, a light will shine. You, O God, will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors divide and plunder. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Judges chapter 7. The boots of the warrior and the uniform stained, blood stained by war will be burned and they will be filled for fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heavens, Lord of Armies, will make this happen. 
that preaches itself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much. We thank you that in an uncertain world, there is a God who is certain. We thank you in a world where we don't know what the future holds. We rest assured because we know who holds the future. So, Father, we surrender to you in this moment. As Pastor Nathan said when we were praying earlier, this is your time. We're just borrowing it. So we come to you, Lord. We ask that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God. And all things that we do today may be done to the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. So last week, we kicked off our new Christmas series, He Shall Be Called, a series that is meant to look at four important titles about the promised Messiah that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. These titles give us a glimpse into who Jesus is. And this is important since Jesus is arguably one of the most misunderstood and underrated figures of all humanity, even among Christians. These titles help us better understand who Jesus is so we can respond appropriately and experience the fullness of what and who we have in Jesus. These four titles reveal four incommunicable attributes of God. Not communicable, but incommunicable. What does that mean? They are four divine characteristics that can only be found in God. They are not shared with human beings, nor can they be attained by human beings. There's other attributes of God that are communicable like anger or happiness or even hope or grace or mercy. Those are communicable to a certain extent. We can experience that. We can share that. But they're incommunicable attributes, attributes that only God possesses. So last week, Pastor Nathan spoke about the wonderful counselor. If you hadn't had a chance to go look at that, take a chance. Look at it. He speaks of Jesus as the supernatural advisor. This speaks of Jesus' omniscience. He knows and understands all things and all people. So his counsel is always impeccable, and the reaches of his counsel are infinite. Now, we unpacked that last week. And in the next few weeks to come, we'll be unpacking two other titles, at least the last two titles that are found in this text, which is Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. And perhaps as a little teaser, as a trailer of coming attractions, let's talk about what that means quickly. Eternal Father, he is eternal. This speaks of his eternality. Again, another incommunicable attribute. He is eternal. He is timeless. He transcends time, but yet intimately governs time. Prince of Peace means he's sovereign. He has the first and final say in all things. And his rule, his reign is marked by un interrupted peace. Can you use that, Life Church? Oh, only this section needs peace? Okay, well, Lord, you hear that. Just this section. But could we use uninterrupted peace? So I want to invite you in the next few weeks as we unpack those two attributes of who God is and what their implications are for our lives. But today, we're going to be unpacking the second title, Jesus, the Mighty But before we unpack this provocative title and what it means for us, I think it's helpful to have some context of what Isaiah is saying here. You see, the prophet Isaiah writes to Judah, the southern empire of Israel. He writes to them about this 
coming judgment of God. That's right. God judges his own people. God disciplines his own people. Just read Isaiah. He writes to them because of their continual unfaithfulness. And God has finally had enough with them. He's had enough of their sins, their sins of idolatry. You see, they worship false gods. And even at the height of their idolatry, they even worship themselves. God had enough of their injustice, their unfair and unjust treatment of people who they deem to be inferior because of their race or their social economic status. God had had enough. Had enough of their scene of ungodly alliances. They allied with and relied upon pagan and evil nations to save them rather than the God who saved them from Egypt. If someone has saved you before, then you know that they can save you again. But they trusted in everything but God. Sadly, this was not the first time that God had to raise up prophets and judges to tell his people, stop worshiping things that can't save you and focus on the God who only is the one that can save you. He would warn them continually of the consequences to come if they would continue in that. You see, the people had developed an unhealthy pattern, a pattern of disobedience and then temporary repentance. Disobedience and then temporary repentance. Disobedience and then temporary repentance. Throughout Israel's history, they would, they would follow this pattern, this unfaithfulness to God. Israel would disobey God. They would ignore his word and him himself. Then God would warn them of the judgment to come, but the people would not change. They would continue in their sins, and because they persisted in their sins, judgment comes. Finally, they would experience trials and hardship, hardships such as political unrest, economic instability, military invasions and occupations, even slavery by the surrounding nations because they would not obey the God who put them in their place. Only after invasions, only after instability economic, only after unrest, only after occupations will they then repent and cry out to God. And God being merciful, being omnibenevolent, if you will, he would deliver them each and every time. But as soon as God delivers them, they would turn right back to business as usual neglecting God and his word until, of course, they experienced trials and hardship again. See, the cycle went on for hundreds of years. This isn't a cycle that went on for two days, hundreds of years. How many parents are in here that get tired of telling your children the same thing over and over and over again? Amen, hallelujah. One honest parent. I know wives would get tired of saying, take out the trash to their husbands. Don't laugh too hard. But we get tired. And God had finally had enough of his people. They continue to take advantage of his grace and his mercy. Now, as you hear that, as you hear about these unfaithful people of God, you may be tempted to assume that you would have done different. You may be tempted to say, I would have been faithful to God. Friends, reality is this. I've seen that pattern in my life, too, personally. I've seen in the life of people I've had the privilege to counsel. We sin, we feel pain and judgment of all the right consequences of our sins, 
we cry out to God, we repent, and no sooner does he deliver us, we go right back to it. Another faithful Christian. But isn't that true? Isn't that the pattern of our lives? Let me ask you this question. When you realize that we tend to vacillate in our affection and commitment to God and his word, at least until we feel trials and hardships, let me ask you this pivotal question as you sit here. How have you taken the grace and mercy of God for granted? How? How many ways? Human nature is the same today as it was then. We are usually only mindful of God when we're hurting, when we fall on hard times, or perhaps when hard times fall on us. Otherwise, it's business as usual with God being the last of our priorities, if he's even on the list altogether. Let's go back to our text. Look at Judah. With the armies of Assyria, with the armies of Syria and even southern or northern Israel at the doorsteps, they are ready to destroy it and plunder it. God warns his people yet again, repent and return to me. Now, you would think, being in such a dark place, with despair and destruction right around the corner, it would be a moment to just have a kumbaya, come to Jesus moment, let's have a conversation. Sorry, these are Hebrews, come to Yeshua moment. But no, with all signs pointing towards destruction, with certain destruction at the doorstep, rather than repenting, Judah puts its faith in the idols, political alliances, and military strategies, rather than in So Isaiah now writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to say, Judah, trust in God. He is faithful. He has proven himself for hundreds of years. Trust in God. He is your only hope. In the face of insurmountable circumstances, Judah, trust in God. Isaiah's very name speaks of this truth. His name means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. His very name is a sermon on its own. He writes to these people, In hard times, don't turn to your human strategies. Turn to God. Another question for you, for us. When times are hard, when our backs are against the wall, who do we turn to? Who do we put our faith in? Whoever that is, with the exception of God, that is your God. Times are hard. Do you put your faith in governments and political parties to save you and policies to save you in your own human knowledge and might? Or do you put faith in God? Folks, these questions were relevant then and they're even still relevant today. In the midst of despair and desperation and destruction, Isaiah speaks about a fixed and a firm hope in God. Isaiah foresaw the messianic king who would come as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Isaiah's prophecy puts forth four provocative titles about who Jesus is. And perhaps the most provocative of all these titles, mighty God. Mighty God. You may ask. Daniel, why is this provocative? Well, in order to understand this or the provocative nature of this title, you would have to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people when they heard this. You see, they don't have the benefit 
of Jesus' earthly ministry. They don't have the benefit of a completed Bible, especially the New Testament. They don't have the benefit of 10,000 years of progressive revelation of who God is and what his plan is for salvation. Additionally, I think sometimes our familiarity with this text causes us to lose the weight of this text. How many of you have heard this text many times? A son is given. A child has come. We hear that so much, and sometimes I think our appreciation of it fails. Sometimes familiarity with not just things, but with God and with this text, sometimes in human hearts, it breeds contempt. It becomes common to us. Sure, a child is given. Okay. Sure, a son is given. Okay. You see, the original audience of this prophecy, when they heard this, it was jarring and even confusing to them. You see, they were expecting a human Messiah, not God. They were expecting a a human that will come and perhaps represent God, but not God himself. You see, their theology, rightly so, understood that God was too holy and too majestic to be around people. Amen. That's a good theology, that you feel the weight, the impotence, the gravitas of who God is. Amen. But they didn't understand that God was planning to condescend himself, to come down to our level to save us. I feel like God is in heaven, if I could use my sanctified imagination, and it's like, Jesus, we got to go down there because they're going to hurt themselves. (laughs) They've been trying for all these years to save themselves. They tried the Roman Empire. It didn't work. Greek didn't work. Medo-Persia didn't work. Name them all didn't work. America didn't work. Salvation is only found in God. Yahweh alone is your salvation, not Egypt, not Assyria, not the armies that you had made alliances with that have now turned against you. See, God shatters their theology. He has a way of doing that. Not good theology, but incomplete theology gets shaken up in the midst of chaos. Has COVID affected your theology? Affected mine. It's caused me to look deeper and see what I believe, why I believe what I believe. See, when times are good, you can have the greatest theology. When you're blessed, God is good all the time. God is good. Amen. Say that when you're hurting. Amen. God shatters their theology. He shatters their understanding of him, revealing himself as their soon-to-come Messiah, that he would personally, and intimately come and dwell with them in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 is one of the few Old Testament scriptures that blatantly reveals the divine nature of the Messiah. This text has the undertones of the incarnation, that God will become man, the divine will take on humanity. Folks, we have the privilege of the New Testament, so we are less impressed with this great revelation. Or maybe we've become numb to it, become numb to that magnitude of what's happening here, that God, holy and perfect, would come and reside among imperfect and unholy people, but not as a king, as of yet, but not as a prince, as of that time. He will come as a lowly baby in a manger. His power is seen 
by his example of humility. And don't be mistaken, he's much more than that. They would have been shocked to hear that the God, the creator of all things, the almighty one, would enter into human history and visibly and physically be with his people. Isaiah says he's the mighty God. That the mighty God himself would rescue and reside with his people. Mighty God, El Gabor. El means God, the creator. It's a generic term for God. Gabor means warrior, champion, a hero, a valiant champion. This was the ancient word that was used for man because men were seen as protectors and defenders of the realm. It says, you're a God. This baby, this child... Mighty God, let that sit on your soul for a second. In our society, strength is seen by bravado, by how much of a jerk you can be, how you can offend people, how you can stand for yourself. Mighty God descends and takes on the lowest form. What's more vulnerable than a baby? He comes. It doesn't stay that way. This is God, the liberator of his people. Folks, the picture here is not of some weak little baby Jesus in a little baby manger. This is God incarnate. This is not what we are accustomed to. This is the all-powerful ruler of the universe that has come here to war against sin and Satan, to war against everything and anything that keeps us from being who he's called us to be. Mighty God comes and dwells with his people. Isaiah foresees a future when God comes down and no longer leaves it, no longer outsources his reign to human kings and human presidents and human authorities, but God himself comes down and writes all unrighteousness, fixes all injustices, conquers and defeats all evil finally. Amen, somebody. That is exciting that one day God's going to crack the sky and come down and reign in perfect justice. Question for you. When you think of Jesus, is this who you think of? Or do you think of little cute Jesus? Some caricatures even have him with little small baby wings flying around. Is this the Jesus you worship? Or have you and I bought into the cutesy passive Jesus that seems to be the butt of many religious jokes? It's interesting to me that the explicitive, the explicative F word is sometimes attached to Jesus' name. Jesus Christ. You don't see that with any other religious leader. In fact, when you see that with other religious leaders, something terrible happens. But we become cavalier with Jesus. It's become so common to us that someone could do that in our presence as Christians, and we wouldn't bat an eye. Because chances are we do it too. When we think of Christ, do we think of the small, frail, fragile Lord that needs you? Or do we think of the mighty God who needs nobody 
but yet wants us to come close. Can you imagine what this imagery did to Judah? As the armies were standing at the door ready to destroy them, can you imagine the image of the mighty God, the God of hosts, the God of heaven's army standing and saying, look at him. Don't put your strength and your confidence in your princes and your horses and your military attire and your military strategy. Trust in the mighty God with one breath could destroy all the armies. Imagine what that does to you as the people of God. What does it do to your soul, Christian, to know that this is the God you serve, that the God of heaven, the mighty God is with you? You can trust in God because he's mighty to save and mighty to deliver. He's a God who's never even come close to losing a battle by batting a thousand, folks. There are a few verses in the Bible that capture this image of who Jesus is as the mighty God. Perhaps one that captures it the best is Revelation chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 11 through 16 gives you imagery. Now, awards that are wise. When you look at this scripture, this is what we call apocalyptic scripture. And it's meant to have all these imagery, many of them that are jarring and and will shake you. But it's meant to convey a truth. The apostle John here writes, after being given a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus Christ, and it's not little cute Jesus, but it's the anticipated Messiah, the mighty king that Isaiah speaks of. Look at verse 11 through 16. John writes, it says, Then I saw heaven open up, and a white horse was standing there. White horse means victory. And the rider on it was called Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. No human can wage a righteous war. Only God can truly wage a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire. His head, on his head were many crowns, which means he is the king of kings, which means he subdued empires. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. That's important because to name something in that tradition is to have authority over it. But he has a name that nobody has an understanding of, which means he's beyond any human authority. Verse 13, he wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in their finest pure white. Pure white for them means righteousness. They've been washed in the blood. They've been cleansed. They've been made holy. They've been made sanctified. You don't fix yourself. God fixes us. And they followed him on white horses. Victory. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. It means that he can only speak and everything will happen. It doesn't have to carry a weapon. He doesn't have to have an actual knife or sword. He speaks speaks, and things happen. You see, the same God that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence in Genesis still speaks now. He will rule them with a rod of iron. No evil. No fear, no hatred. He rules completely. He will release the fierce wrath of God. It's another one of God's attributes that humans can't have. Holy, godly wrath. Almighty 
he will review, he will release the fierce wrath of the Almighty like juice pressing from a wine press. It means God has infinite justice. And on his robe and on his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an image. What an image of the resurrected Lord. Remember, this is apocalyptic literature, so it's meant to show you imagery that's supposed to cause you to be in awe of the majesty of who God is. And there's a lot here to unpack. We don't have time to do it today, but Revelation is filled with great imagery. Don't be afraid of the book. Most Christians I know are saying, ah, I won't read that, especially at night by myself after eating Chinese food. Not going to touch it. And I can understand that. But it's fact, it is the one book in all of Scripture that says there is a blessing for you when you read it. It literally says that. This image is clear. It's meant to show you who Christ is, that he is the mighty God who will finally and permanently right every wrong in human history. Now, folks, to be sure, Jesus is loving. Amen. Jesus is merciful. Amen. He is even gracious. Amen. He is all of those things. He's so much more. He is the mighty God who will bring lasting justice to an unjust world in the midst of what may seem to be uncertain times. I want to encourage you to trust in our mighty God. When you feel like all the odds are against you, trust in our mighty God. Folks, this season, as you celebrate Jesus, and, you, and listen, I don't want to spoil your Christmas. I know you probably ordered a little baby Jesus. Listen, don't, don't break it. Don't throw it out. Keep it. It's good. But don't just celebrate that. But I want you to celebrate him as a wonderful counselor, a miraculous, supernatural counselor who can speak to your soul. I want you to celebrate him as the eternal father, God who sprung all eternity into existence, so how is it that he can't affect time now? I want you to celebrate him as the prince of peace, the originator of peace, the origin of all good and perfect things. And I want you to celebrate him as the mighty God, God of the universe. Here's my action step for you, just one. We are often inundated with caricatures of who God is. Read the Bible for yourself. Know how God has described himself. Read Revelation. And in order to help you with that, there's at least two resources that I would share with you. One is the NIV application commentary. Really good. Will help you walk through that. And the other is the Bible, is the Bible uh, knowledge commentary. It's super helpful. Those things will help you get over your angst or your fear or the imagery or the weight of it. But you need not let people define Jesus for you. Let Jesus define himself. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's stand. You may be here, and you may not know Christ. And perhaps even the imagery of a mighty God triggers you. You get the picture of this God who is in heaven throwing down thunderbolts and who is ready to get you, a got you God. 
perhaps you've become so enamored by cutesy, pritzy Jesus. Because he's mighty, it means that his love is also mighty. It means that his grace is also mighty. It means that all of who he is is beyond anything we could think or imagine. I invite you to come to a God who is mighty enough to break through your sins, your hurts, your hang-ups. I want to invite you to come to a God who is mighty to deliver and mighty to save. God whose omniscience is tempered by his omnipotence. God whose omnipotence is tempered by his omnibenevolence. He loves beyond what we can think or even imagine. The vastness of God's love can never be plumbed. Look at Israel. Hundreds of years, he was faithful to them, even though they were faithless. But even God draws a line, a righteous line. And friend, if you're listening in person or online, This could be that day where God is calling you to experience the might of his love. A God who will fight for you better than you can ever fight for yourself. You know the El Gabor, the mighty God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation, You don't fight your own battles anymore. You stand in the already won victory of our mighty God. So I invite you for the first time or the hundredth time. Know him now. Celebrate this Christmas understanding the fullness of what you have in Christ. You have a Savior. Yes also have a Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Here I am, a weak, feeble, incomplete, and unperfect, an imperfect human being, attempting to declare the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God. Where I fail, Spirit of the living God, Would you go beyond what I could ever do in my conversation? Let your word penetrate our hearts and permeate through our souls. Let us be in love with you and inform our mind to grasp, even if it's a glimpse, of how majestic you are. And may we respond appropriately. God of all creation, thank you. Thank you for coming here now. Thank you for breaching into humanity and saving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast, listening to Pastor Daniel's sermon. What a wonderful message he gave about mighty God, that that's who Jesus is. Jesus is mighty. He's mighty to save. And so we pray that this message has hit you in a profound way. If it has, 
And if you would like to say yes to Jesus, maybe in a new way, maybe for the first time, would you let us know? And you can click on our connect link, uh, which is in the show page notes, or you can go to our now page and uh, make sure you tell us about it so that we can help you walk that journey uh, together in community. I also want to remind you to make plans for Christmas. Christmas Eve services are 2.30 p.m. and 4.15 p.m. If you aren't able to make it in person for the candlelight services, we will have a digital Christmas experience that will be available on Christmas Eve and all day after that point. You can share it with people. Uh, anybody who doesn't have a church home, they can they can participate in that as well. It's just a fun thing to be able to watch at home uh, with your kids. And, uh, and the whole family. So I hope to see you soon. Next week, we will be having the third part of our series, He Shall Be Called Everlasting Father.